Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. More friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just I love that. I love that. questions and comments. During the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ross Ryan. Bus people, bus people are, are uh, you know, they're not around here tonight. It, it's raining here now, which, oh, yeah. by the way, or BTW, however you want to say it, if all of a sudden you hear a big clap of thunder and I'm not here anymore, it's because of the thunder and rain we're having. So, oh. just, you're, uh, you're, you're having it now, huh? Yeah, we're getting it oh. now. Yeah, it's been wow. actually for the last 20 minutes or so, it's been been raining thunder and all that so but you know it just may move out and not bother us which i hope happens but if it we have a tropical storm uh elsa um yeah former elsa's former queen elsa is now a tropical storm elsa and so well formal cyclone they were they were saying we got cyclone activity and i'm going cyclone that's that's pacific where we call ours hurricanes and then yeah you know Tropical cyclone. I was like, when did this come in? They're yeah, coming up with new names now. I know. Yeah. This large twisty thing out in the Atlantic is heading this way. It is. And the the cone of of uncertainty is all of the state of Florida. So <clears throat> Wow. Yeah. That's right. last I saw anyway. The, the cone of uncertainty. Although the local weather girl uh, used to work in uh, Jacksonville, and now she's down here with us. We replaced another girl, and she said hmm. that with the wind shear uh, up in the upper atmosphere and with the land masses that it's got to go through and all this other stuff, she said it'll probably destroy it before it gets anywhere near Florida. So, hope so. Hmm. She says the early yeah. season to get anything that's going to be any anything. So, I don't know. She's, hope a, she's right. the one on. Is she the one on uh, Channel 8 that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Blonde hair. Um, I keep I keep thinking the way she smiles and the way she poses sometimes, she must have been like in a pageant because she has no. that look. I don't know what. No? Yeah. Really? I gotta, I gotta now, this is I, Lee. I for sure. Okay. You're not thinking of Lee. No, I know. No, I know you Lee. Know, Lee's, yeah, she, yeah. She's a morning girl. You know. No, yeah, this, this is new, Rebecca. <laughs> Is her name, and she was up there. Yeah, she she has that she has that pageant type posing in the. In, uh, yeah, they did a and, they did a commercialized. Nobody else is standing like her, and the way she's facing yeah. the camera, and she's got her arm you know back and everything. I'm thinking, she she's done something like pageantry or you know Miss Florida or so, I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking yeah, something, something's up there. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that too. Hey, you know, she, she gets that that model look. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, just uh, nothing about her weather forecasting. I'm just saying, you know. Yeah, um, she just, yeah, I noticed that too. It's something something uh, on that line. But she's saying that oh, you know it should should destroy the cyclone, tropical storm, hurricane, whatever it is, yeah. over the land masses and with the air above and all that before it gets here. We'll get some rains, wow. but that should be about it. But we get rains now, yeah. so hey, what the heck. Every day. It's almost uh, yes. two days worth of I think. I mean, it's been going nonstop. Yeah, um, it, it pretty much has. played golf yesterday, and, and we got range on the last five holes, and uh, which is really wow. sad because the first time we played the course we played, and it was it would have been a lot more fun if we hadn't gotten rained on. But hey, we still had fun. It was a, it was a great course, World Woods up in in Hernando County. Really, really nice course. So, is that a but, different one from where you get injured all the time, or is this a different one? Yeah, yeah. That's that one's. This one's at the end of the Sun Coast, and uh, so we took the Sun Coast wow. up there and. And uh, three of us went up yesterday yeah. and played it. We had coupons, nice. so we went and played it and had a good time. And the coupons also gave us cool. a lunch, so that was always good, too. Oh. But yeah. World Woods, really, really, they have two courses. One of them was closed down, and I had one open, but really a, a nice, nice day, nice course. Good. So this is all about wine, people. If you haven't tuned in oh. to... <laughs> to another discussion. <laughs> I was going to say, it's it on the ticker. It's like live. It's all about wine. I go, really? Huh. <laughs> really? Yeah. So anyway, back to, golf. Golf. Um, <laughs> yeah. back to golf. Back to golf. Yeah. <laughs> just just <laughs> let everyone know that Everything. it's not the wrong wrong show that they do. Do they, do they serve wine at, at uh, golf courses, or do they not have alcohol beverages? They do. Oh, yeah, well, beer. I mean, it's usually, you know, beer's the oh, thing water. at golf courses. You, you know, Interesting. You, you I always thought wine would be the big draw of uh, no, beer, golf course. It's beer. Know, golf like, courses, it's beer. I mean, it just you, you drive <laughs> by the baskets that they have at each of the tees, you know, so you can throw garbage away, and, and at yeah. the beginning – Beginning five or six baskets are pretty much empty, except for maybe golf ball boxes and stuff. And then you start getting on the sixth to the ninth, and they're starting to become full of beer cans and beer bottles. And then the rest of the course are just, <laughs> you know, that's all you see in them is beer cans and beer bottles. You see golfers laying around? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Some of them, you know. A six pack on the front nine and six pack on the back nine. You know, beer is a big thing in golf, and some wine. I mean, I you know, when I was, yeah. you know, you can you can get wine in the clubhouse and all that. A friend of mine, in fact, I used to work with at the winery. Uh, he and I played golf uh, a few times, and he would always bring a bottle of wine and glasses, and after. Like three or four holes, he would pull out the wine and open it up, and we'd stop, and we'd have a glass of wine, and then mm-hmm. uh, a couple, three more holes, more wine. And by the time we got to the like the 15th hole, we'd be finishing up the bottle of wine, and he would always bring wine with us. So, uh, yeah. It, now, the beer, the beer trash you're finding, is it mostly cans or is it uh, bottles? Both. Because that means... Both. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's both. I was just when I was... If- yeah. <clears throat> yeah. When I was rangering, I would, you know, clean out the 
the cans and all I wanted was a golf ranger and I would I would find both. Yeah, you know, I mean it just hmm. you know, people come in the clubhouse and they say you like to take, you know, beer with you, yeah, you know, give me, you know, give me six bottles or give me six cans or whatever and they'd ask for different some people like cans, some like bottles, but it's both. You know, okay. it makes no difference. I thought maybe it was like uh like pool rules, rules, you know, you couldn't take glass out on the course or something. And no. what are you going to drink if it was a glass bottle or something? So I wasn't sure if there was yeah. a rule for that. So no, they're bringing no, beer no in a bottle. Huh. Okay. Some people, some people like the bottles, and some people like cans, and so. And the cup holders on the golf carts are just the right size yeah. to hold the cans or the bottles, so it makes no difference on that. Yep. Yeah. Um, no. But uh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's usually beer more so than wine on golf courses. Hmm. Yeah, we got back on the topic of wine. Uh, wine, yeah, and transition over to yeah. wine. If you want to chat with us? You can do so on on. Uh, I have no idea if YouTube has a chat feature on it, uh, but you can uh, definitely on Facebook or on Block Talk Radio. Just go to our show page on Block Talk Radio and hit on that chat button thing down there, and you can chat as well. And uh, just type something, type a topic, whatever, question for Ron, and there we go. Um, yeah, well, it's wanna... almost 8 o'clock. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for listening to our discussion on <laughs> the weather and golf. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> oh, before you go, though, before you go, mm-hmm. I'm going to be on a different yeah. show next week besides All About Nine. Well, I... Hmm. Mike and I were talking about this. Yeah, thank you, thank you. This is, uh, I, I say it uh, uh, next week. I guess it's going to be, well, before I start bouncing around all this, I was interviewed, I was on uh, a uh, uh, an interview with uh, Maria Liberati. That's M-A-R-I-A-L-I-B-E-R-A-T-I, Maria Liberati. She is like, uh, oh, my gosh, uh, a Gourmand World Award-winning author, blogger of the basic art of Italian cooking. And she has a book series, and she has a blog, and she has a Maria Liberati show podcast, which is the one I'm going to be on. She's also a contributor to many national and international publications, multimedia journalist, producer, and content creator, author of 10 award-winning culinary travel books, author, winner of the Culinary Travel Blog of the Year by the New York Travel Writers Society, and the Culinary Content Innovators Award by Corporate Live Wire. Wow. I was on her show. I'm going to get her on mine, too. She said, yeah, let, we'll get together and I'll be guests on your show. So sometime in July, we will have her as a guest on All About Wine. But we discussed. It wasn't a very long discussion, actually. I, I guess it was like, you know, 20 minutes or so. July is Wine and Cheese Month, she informed me, which I had no idea. But that's why she wanted me on the show. We talked about wine and cheese and, you know, some of my favorites and different things like that. And so that's what the interview was. You can go to, well, her home page is, and I'm bringing it up here if it loads. Yeah, there we go. MariaLiberati.com. 
which is pretty simple and easy. And then you can click on blog, which is part of the on the home page there, part of the stuff across the top. You can click on blog. You go to the blog. It has <clears throat> excuse me. And it has different dates and different blogs that have she's done and all that. And so she we interviewed and then she's gonna I don't know, edit or whatever and then put it up on or put it together with others or whatever she does, I don't know, and have it on the blog that way. So you can check me out, check the interview out. And hopefully we're going to get Maria sometime in July here to join us and we'll have her on the show. So come Wednesday, I'll be on hers and I'm, it'll be up there. So you don't have to watch it Wednesday. It'll, it'll be added to her blogs, but uh, blogs or podcasts. Hang on for one second. I think it might be podcasts instead of blogs. I think I could told you wrong. I did tell you wrong. It's going to be on the podcast. There you go. She's got all sorts of different podcasts you can go to there. Wow. There you go. Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox, Breaker, and Anchor. Available on nine platforms. Oh, my gosh, Mike. Here are all those. There's different ones you can check out there. So, yeah. uh, I don't know what it takes to hook up with all those, but she's, she's on all those. If you go to, her page, go to her page and click podcast, you see all those different ones there. But I don't know which one I'm going to be on. I, I, I say blog, then I say podcast. And I might even be on video because she actually recorded me through Zoom, I believe it was. And so I might even be on the video aspect of it. Who knows? Just check out her website and and you'll find me somewhere in there after Wednesday. She said that'll be about the time she's going to download it. So there you go. Maria. If you you did video... On her show, if you did video on her show, then you know you have to do video on this show. Yeah. Keep that Uh, in mind. uh, Yeah, I'll (laughs) keep that in mind. (laughs) These these little static pictures here might be getting old to some people looking at the same one. And like, they need to to have real video on there. And there you go. So, yeah, there there you go. But then, but (laughs) then. We were talking before the show about editing, and then you would have to start editing. And no, no. see, so that that ended that right away there. Yeah, editing video. That'd be that was too much work. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's coming up this next week, Maria Liberati. And again, I'm going to get her as a guest sometime this month. So uh, we got what four more weeks in this month to get her on is that right yeah so uh that's it so some things to talk about here today uh that i've uh found that i want to bring up to you and talk about and uh educate you on start with is now this is dateline these this is news that i just got today Oh, I'm sorry. Yesterday, 
Uh, Washington State has a new viticultural area. They're 19th AVA in Washington State. 19 in Washington State alone. This is Goose Gap. It's the newest one in Washington State. And I think the newest AVA. It officially is starting today, July 1st. Uh, it is a new AVA American viticulture area in Washington. It has a total of 8,129 acres, all of it within Yakima Valley, uh, within the Yakima Valley AVA also, and part of it in the larger Columbia Valley AVA. So uh, it's all, uh, well, wait a minute. Let me let me read this properly here. Let's see. Wholly located within the Yakima Valley AVA and the larger Columbia Valley AVA. Okay, so there it is. Uh, currently, 1,800 acres of wine grapes split between two commercial vineyards. 16 varieties are planted, and the fruit is sold to more than 20 wineries around the state. It takes its name from the saddle of land known as Goose Gap, which was named because it was a flyway for geese between two rivers. So, new AVA in Washington State. Uh, it's uh, a little more technical, the orientation of Goose Mountain is east to west, whereas almost all nearby hills are northwest to southwest. So for this reason, vineyards within the AVA are dominantly planted on north and northwest slopes. And the soil of the Goose Gap AVA is almost two-thirds Warden series, which is a considerably higher percentage compared to surrounding areas. Uh, so... Uh, Let's see. These soils are wind-blown loose over layered or stratified silts and fine sands from the ancient Missoula floods and have rooting depths of six feet or more with no root-restrictive layers. Which is a good thing. You know, a lot of areas you know, have clay or something down like three feet or two feet. This one's six feet or more, good soil. So that's a good thing. The Missoula floods, that's ancient Missoula floods. That's a pretty cool thing because, you know, check that out. That's an interesting thing. I think YouTube has a little video on that. It covers the western part of the United States. It was an enormous lake and it was blocked by mountains and the mountains, I don't know, earthquake or something caused it to flood out to the ocean and all that. So, yeah, check it out. It's, like I say, it's interesting. So Goose Gap in Washington, a new AVA. Arizona. Excuse me. Arizona. Uh, We've talked about Arizona. We've talked about Arizona a lot in the past. Arizona's growing wine scene is really exploding right now. We never did talk to wineries directly in Arizona back at the time when we started to talk about states, Arizona was one of the first, and I just called them up and talked to wineries there, and we didn't have anyone on the show. So we are going to do that again in the future. But Arizona is known for its natural parks and scenery in Grand Canyon, obviously, and the temperatures can hit 100 degrees whenever you see any temperatures around the country. They're always talking about Phoenix having 
10 days in a row of 110 degrees or higher and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, ooh. But Arizona is a big wine state. Um, Mendoza in, Ari- in Argentina is a good example of Arizona-type wines. Uh, Only we don't have any large bodies of water moderating the climate, but they do have elevation. Uh, Arizona has the second highest temperature shift in the world of grape growing, and that's after Argentina. So, (coughs) excuse me. So it's a little bit different. Most of the state's growing region is located between 3,200 and 5,500 feet above sea level. So it creates for a different type of of wine growing region. Wine there started back in the 1700s, if not earlier, from Spanish growers, and it has exploded since then. There are some areas that are more popular than others. There's three major AVAs. The Sonota, and, and I, I was wondering if I'm ever pronouncing that right. S-O-N-O-I-T-A, Sonota, Sonita, Sonida. Well, the Sonita Elgin is the first AV in the state, and that's in the southeast part of the state, south of Tucson. Wilcox is in the southern part of the state, in the Verde Valley north of Phoenix will probably become the third AVA shortly. It's, I, I believe it's under review now by TTB, so it, it shouldn't be too much longer. So southern part of the state, though, that's like I say, south of Phoenix, uh, not Phoenix, south of Tucson, the Sonoda place is uh, the most versatile uh, it's exposed to hailstorms high winds early frost monsoonal type rains uh, extreme heats but it is a, a great place to grow grapes uh, volcanic influence in wilcox uh, and uh, uh, clays and loomy soils and all that so it's a very popular place uh, to grow grapes in fact a uh, friend of mine who has a winery down there, in fact, he just changed his name. It used to be uh, Keith. Uh, I can't think of another name. Keith, uh, he, he changed his name. Uh, he has a different name now, but he's down in that area there. And there's a lot of wineries in there. They grow Malvasia, Vonier, Petit Mansing, Vermentino. Uh, Grenache, uh, Sangiovese, Syrah, uh, quite a variety of different grapes are growing in that part of it, as well as up in the northern part. When you start getting in the northern part of uh, Arizona, west of Phoenix, over in the, I just had it here and I lost it. Uh, oh, what is that area? Uh, Ah, I know it, and I see it all the time, and I can't can't think of it right now. But uh, west of Phoenix, and that is the area that is well noted for grape growing in Arizona. So Arizona, a uh, big state. We'll have to visit that some more in the future here. It's a uh, a great state for grapes. They have a rule there. They don't ship out wine in the summer because it's too hot. They don't want the wine to be 
sitting in trucks or in warehouses or anywhere in the summer when it's so hot. They don't want the wine to be cooked. So I saw that in Arizona, and I thought, great, we're going to have to talk a little bit about Arizona. There is a new book out, The Comprehensive Guide to South American Wines. The reason I want to talk about this is because we talked about Bolivia. Uh, We had a guest on, uh, what was it, three weeks ago? who talked to us about Bolivia and Bolivian wines. Well, there's a book out. English writer Amanda Barnes has published one of the most comprehensive guides to South American wines to date. Uh, The South American Wine Guide, which makes sense, doesn't it? Talking about Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, and Peru. And she it's a 528-page book. And she has researched it for over a decade, over 10 years, and she's lived down there. Uh, it's detailed maps, uh, photography, and in co- collaboration with over 60 regional specialists, 70 wine regions, and maps of 40 different wine regions, uh, besides the 70 she talks about. And it's all in English, so it's not Spanish and it's not interpreted Spanish. A 500-year history of wine out of South America and what it's taken to uh, get to the point they are now. Uh, Talks about, the guy talks about winemaker and winery profiles, wine region travel guides, curated list of each region's best wines, uh, 2,500 uh, tasted samples uh, she did while compiling the book. So she said quite a bit of research. And it is all for, well, and it's available in United Kingdom, U.S., and Europe, priced at 35 pounds. I have no idea what the price would be in English, but 35 pounds. And it's also available on Kindle for 21 pounds. So if you don't want the book itself, you can always get it on Kindle. Uh, Barnes herself was born in England. She is an award-winning wine writer and has been based in South America since 2009. She's also been a correspondent for Decanter Magazine, which is one of the big ones out of England. And she is currently studying to become a master of wine. No, oh, good for her. So, sounds like a great book. Uh, 35 pounds. I don't know. The pound, I think, is more than the dollar. So, you're probably looking at about $25, $27. I'm sure other Amazon. Way, the other way around. Sorry. Oh, the other way around? If it's a. Yeah, pound sterling, uh, 35 pounds is $48.15 oh, oh, in well, U.S. In dollar. Direction then. Okay. Yeah. Oh, if it's the same okay. one, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sure it is. It, it just says 35 pounds here. So I'm sure it's available yeah. on Amazon. So you know, you might not be able to find it on Amazon. But uh, yeah. looks like a good book. If you're interested in South American wines or anything out of South America, again, Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, and Peru, 
well, except for some of the little small countries up in the northern part, but that pretty much covers the wine-growing regions of South America. So good book. Check it out if you're interested in South American wines. I think that would probably be your most comprehensive guide you're going to find for South American wines. Heat wave in Oregon. Well, I say that as if that's something new. Actually, the heat wave throughout the West, going from, well, the mountains of the Rockies all the way over to the Pacific Ocean, but particularly the Pacific Northwest. Uh, what's so sad about it is Oregon's Willamette Valley uh, is experiencing the hottest days ever recorded there just this last Monday with the temperature of hitting 116 degrees in Salem. 116 degrees, that's 47 degrees Celsius if you're if you're in, uh, into that. Um, baking that part. British Columbia hit 113 on Sunday. Portland, Oregon, 112. And Seattle has reached an all-time high of 104 a little frosty compared to the others. Now, these temperatures hit California in the San Joaquin Valley, but they don't hit there. And since Oregon is noted for its Pinot Noir, we're going to get to find out what happens when you cook Pinot Noir grapes on the vine. Now, uh, what it does is evaporates the moisture from the fruit because Pinot Noir is so thin-skinned. This is what they're always saying. The problem with growing Pinot Noir is that the skin is so thin. That's why the Pinot Noir doesn't give you a whole real dark, deep color in the wine because the color comes from the skin, and it's it's not a real, real thick skin, so you don't get a chance to get real dark, deep colors because of it. Well, being thin-skinned, too, it tends to cause problems when the heat and the heat breaks down the acidity a lot it increases the sugar which can end up uh, going directly to the fruit which then is going to raise the alcohol levels but it's going to not give you the acid to balance it out all sorts of problems with the heat so uh, what will happen is the evaporation of the moisture out of the grape will cause shriveling and it'll sunburn the grape and it just it basically could just destroy a crop I mean, without much effort at all it could just destroy a crop but the grapes have not been through verizon now verizon if you remember is when the grapes start changing colors and they go from the green they start becoming whatever color they're going to be. Instead of the hard green grapes, they start becoming uh, uh, purple and, and uh, you know, the, the reds and different colors. So now the berries are still tiny, green, and hard. So it's not affecting them greatly yet. And they are increasing the cover over it. I mean, the, the crop, they're not going into the vineyards and thinning it out so that the berries can get the sun and stuff. So letting the leaves shelter the grapes. So that's something that's good. It's early in the season. Gregory Jones, who we've interviewed way in the past, if you want a great interview, go back and check that out in the archives. 
but he is a research climatologist at Linfield University in McMinnville, which is located in the Willamette Valley. Uh, I loved the interview with him. Very interesting man. We've had him on before, and I've talked to him before about different things. He is the wines industry's go-to expert on climate and global warming. And he's most of his career has been checking out how the climate has affected grapevines. And at uh, Willamette Valley, it was 110 degrees. Uh, Jones says the biggest challenge with a heat wave like this is that the past couple of days and tomorrow are likely to be 25 to 30 degrees above average. 25 to 30 degrees. Amazing. Well, again, to continue the quote, what makes the Pacific Northwest so suitable for cool climate grapes is that we don't usually see things like this. The North Willamette Valley is mostly unirrigated. Without irrigation, there isn't much you can do. This was a time when most of the canopies are at their full flush of growth. There's probably enough growth to give shade and keep the berries a little cooler but there's some concern that it could cause some issues with yield. And that is uh, the issue. Uh, the uh, grapevines are pretty hardy. So uh, it, they're not, not going to kill. It's the grapes themselves that is the thing. Grapevines have an ability to dig down into the ground and find root, uh, find moisture. And so they will, and they do. And when they find the moisture, they're able to keep themselves uh, cool, watered. But the problem is that once those grapes start coming out, the sun's going to start hitting them, and there's not a whole heck of a lot the grapevines can do to keep them from drying out. They can put their effort into it, but still it... uh, it, it could cause problems with, with the grapevines. Uh, Jones says, and I quote again, these heat domes getting as big as this one is, those are the sorts of things we expect in a warming climate. The impact of, uh, well, end quote on that, the impact of climate change is apparent not in the fact that there is a heat wave, because they always have heat waves, but it's the scale of the heat wave that is really affecting everything more than what it normally does. Uh, a well, let's see. I just passed his his uh, credentials here. Where, where did I see that? Uh, up here. Oh, I don't know. I've been here. Bernou, Bernou, uh, who is up in that area there, who is part of the Oregon Wine Board, said, there's always something. Think about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first was the pandemic. The second was that it rained last year so much that it reduced our yields more than ever in the Willamette Valley, 38% on average reduction. The third was smoke from last year, and this is the fourth. We hope this is the last horseman. So that's just in Willamette Valley that I was telling you about. The western part of the United States is going through a heat wave, and it's affecting all the way back. good thing about it is it's still early in the season, basically. I mean, the grapes haven't hit Verizon yet, so that is uh, the best thing about it. It's still early in the season. 
Okay. Texas. Texas just passed a new law, which could be groundworks for other states to follow. Who knows? It might, it might not. But they're celebrating a significant milestone, they say. The uh, Governor Abbott of Texas signed into law House Bill 1957, which provides for new labeling uh, regulations in Texas. It's going to help the consumer realize what's going on. Now, Texas currently follows the federal standards where a wine can be labeled as Texas as long as 75% of the grapes used in the bottle come from somewhere within the state. And then the remaining 25% could come from outside the state, anywhere. <coughs> Excuse me, let me go. Drink of water here. The new law, which goes into effect September the 1st, uh, two months from today, requires any label that includes a county, an American viticulture area, or AVA, or vineyard designation, will now be following more stringent requirements. This is the breakdown that the law is going to be doing here. County designations. 75% of the grapes must come from within that county. The remaining 25% may come from anywhere within Texas. So if you say a county, then it's a Texas wine, and 75% come from there. American Viticulture or an AVA, 85% of the grapes must come within that AVA. The remaining 15% anywhere within Texas. Again, they're keeping within the state. And 75% is the national, and now Texas is making it 85% within the state. Only other state that has higher than 75 is Oregon. And last I heard, Oregon has a higher percentage. I think they're 85 also. But the country, 75 is what's required. Vineyard designation. Now, this is really tight. 95% of the grace must come from that vineyard. The remaining 5% may come from anywhere within Texas. And if a wine is labeled as Texas only, it is still able to follow the federal standard of 75% of the grapes from within Texas, and an additional 25% can come from another state. So that's the only one that still follows the federal standards. So, you know, it's, it's going to be quite interesting Get yourself a Texas wine, check out the label, see if it says county designation, uh, AVA, or vineyard designation, because that is Texas uh, all the way. And Texas has always had problems of getting grapes. They have always, with the number of wineries there, they have always had problems getting grapes for their wines. And with these new regulations, we may see less county designation on the label, less AVA designation, and definitely less vineyard designation, unless the winery has some big vineyards of their own, and they're not going to be selling it to anyone else. So that should be an interesting interesting move there. It says, the consumer will know that at least all of the grapes are from Texas. Previously, we didn't know that. And now says Carl Money, who is a past president of the Texas Wine Growing Texas Wine Growers Association. 
and he also has a winery of his own. Says that this is just a great thing. So we'll see. And you know, if this works and if this continues on, and then they they can do this, and it creates buzz and more wine being sold within Texas and even outside. And I think we're going to start seeing other winery or other states rather do this also. Is alcohol rising in wines? You've heard this statement before. Alcohol is going up in wines. They're they're making higher alcohol wines. I don't think it's happening personally. I think it, we're pretty much about the same. But I saw this article here, and it was interesting. It said that they got new figures now that show a period from Bordeaux, Tuscany, Piedmont, and California. And it says they've all had higher alcohol levels on average in the last decade uh, than they did in the 1990s. Okay. Uh, For example, Bordeaux averaged in 19, uh, let's see, from 1990 to 1999, average alcohol was like 12.75. But then 20 to 20 uh, from 2000 2009 it jumped up to almost 13 and a half percent and then from 2010 to 2019 it jumped up to like 13.8 percent almost 14 percent so it has jumped up same thing with burgundy it was lower in uh 1990s but then it jumped up and 2000, 2009, but then it dropped just a, a little bit in this last decade. California Red. Now, this is the change here. California Red averaged like 13.7% alcohol 1990 to 1999. Then in 2000, 2009, that jumped up to like 14.6% alcohol. Uh, but then it dropped this last decade uh, down to about 14.5. So that has dropped. Piedmont, it jumped up. It's always been high alcohol. It's close to 14 uh, in the 1990s. But then it jumped up to like uh, 14.25 in 2000, it stayed there. It hasn't varied much. And Tuscany, the same thing. 13.75, it jumped up to over 14 and a little bit higher uh, in the last decade. So, yeah, it is. Alcohol is going up, but it's not recently. The big jump was in the uh, early part of the uh, well, 2000s. And the sugar levels is the reason uh, the substantial sugar levels have jumped up. And so what do you do with sugar levels if you don't turn it to alcohol? I mean, really, think about it. There's nothing else you can do with it. Um, the alcohol level usually stays around 14.5, and it doesn't go. Fortified wines are 15.5 to 22%. These are fortified, and this is the levels that you get with ports and sherries and stuff. And also, these are the levels that once it gets to 15.5, the government taxes you at a higher level. 
And this is something I've always said. You're not going to see wine jumping up to 15, 16, 17% unless the winery is willing to absorb the extra tax or you're going to be paying for it. And most of the time, you're going to be paying for it. So when you pick up wine and say, oh, I like a wine that's really high in alcohol, well, consider you're paying for that really high in alcohol because the taxes are higher. And most state taxes are higher on it, too. I know the federal is, Florida is, and I'm sure most every state tax on the country has got higher taxes on. <coughs> Excuse me. You've got higher taxes on wine once it hits the, well, usually 15, 5, 16, 17%, depending on your state. Also, you got to consider, too, there is a trend towards low and non-alcohol wines in recent years, which if you're doing an average, that's going to change your average there because of this new trend. But this this article here didn't do an average. They just this actually looked at the alcohol levels in those regions. So, yes, alcohol levels have went up. If you've been drinking for a number of years, you will see the difference. But if you are a new drinker, it's just about the same. It hasn't changed too much. Croatia. Uh, we uh, That part of the world is the... What the, the the center, the start of wine, the whatever we want to call that's that's where wine started in in the world. Well, Croatia is having their first national Croatian Croatian Wine Day uh, in the United States. It marks the 30th anniversary of independence from Croatia, and that date was is should be. And let me see where I can find it here. Uh, I think we might have missed it. Wait a minute, the 29th? Two days ago. Why is this two days ago? What is the date of this? No, this is the date of the article, the 29th. Uh, Creation Wine Day. Certification to the... Hmm. Some 20 years ago, they did... Uh, the recognition of Croatian wines in the U.S. And fast forward to today, they are proclaiming the first ever National Croatian Wine Day to mark Croatia's proclamation of independence, which I guess was yesterday, our day before yesterday, the 29th. So it was the day before yesterday. Uh, so if you are of Croatian descent, I'm sorry to tell you late, but you missed it. But it's uh, a winemaker and uh, excuse me, a winemaker and uh, some other people have gotten together and designated it, and the uh, country has picked it up. Uh, they give the names. There's you know a sommelier and wine educator um, by the name of Anna Ritz Ritoza. And uh, she's got a boutique winery in Perec, Isteria. And then there's other people also that have gotten behind it. But she is the one who originally proclaimed 
the 29th of June as National Creation Wine Day in the U.S. Okay. I don't know if it's National Croatian Wine Day anywhere else, but she proclaimed it in the U.S. So, so there you go for that. And our old nemesis, the spotted lanternfly. Pennsylvania is making a big, big, big to try to eradicate that in Pennsylvania. Uh, they have 26,000 businesses that have stepped up to check the, uh, the spotted lanternfly. You can get a permit, and if you are passing through Pennsylvania or you're doing business, you get your permit, and the permit is free. Just go down and say, I want a spotted lanternfly permit, and you can run traps for it or whatever. If you violate and don't get a permit, you're subject to fines of up to $300 per violation plus your court cost. And the permit's free. So if you're living in Pennsylvania and you're doing a business, go get your free permit. Don't, you know, it's not worth not doing it. It's a free permit. Citing, if you cite it anywhere, there is a toll-free number call. Uh, it is one eight 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 four bad fly and that is the actual number b-a-d-f-l-y four bad fly and this will help them establish where it is and how it's moving and what's going on with it there are a uh, pennsylvania department of agriculture has found a dog that can sniff out the spotted lantern fly Uh, the dog's name is lucky it's a German shepherd. It was trained as a puppy to work and detect the spotted lanternfly eggs. And it has been able to spot uh, or smell the spotted lanternfly within a uh, an area, a tree, or something like that. First, actually, first dog in the nation trained to detect the spotted lanternfly, which is really cool. Let's hope that they train more because it is all over. Uh, she is a German Shepherd, and it is a female. Uh, not just saying she. So, Pennsylvania is getting proactive. They are doing what they can to get this spotted lanternfly controlled. If you find it in one area, they want to know where it is and how many you're catching and what's going on with it, and they're tracing it around the state. Uh, they said that the in 2019, the economic impact from the spot on land and fly uh, that has left uncontrolled could cost Pennsylvania up to $324 million annually and as many as 2,800 jobs. So it's not just something you go, oh, well, it'll, it'll go away. No, it won't. Uh, and... Uh, Another thing with the spotted lanternfly, I don't know if I really covered it. When it feeds, it excretes a sugary substance called honeydew, and a lot of insects do. But this one, honeydew encourages the growth of black sooty mold, which causes damage to plants and attracts stinging insects. 
The sticky substance is known to coat decks and outdoor furniture, play equipment, and vehicles. So it has that going for it, too. Not only does it destroy crops and everything else, Pennsylvania estimates that the agriculture industry can be affected with the spotted lanternfly by as much as $132.5 billion. Wow. So they are doing what they can, getting everyone involved, all businesses. Again, more than 26,000 businesses already have their permits, and they're hoping that people will continuously do so and become active with that. So, uh, you know, it needs to be done. That's where the center started. In 2014, the first spotted lanternfly was spotted in Pennsylvania. And since then, it has spread across the country. Okay. I have talked in the past, back when they first unregulated and, and legalized marijuana, how it would affect grapevines and wine and all that. And I talked about it off and on. Article here says that the problem that they're running across right now more than anything is the unregulated marijuana growing, not so much the legal cannabis, but the unregulated cannabis. And it's starting to pop up in different areas. The cannabis growers can now legally say grown in Napa Valley, or Napa County, I'm sorry, Napa County, uh, on their packaging, but not Napa Valley. And so it's, it's starting to make an impact. Cannabis growers are finding that grape land is as good, or uh, vineyards land is probably one of the best to grow cannabis. And because of it, cannabis value in in areas like Sonoma County, uh, cannabis value can reach a per acre price of $5.5 million to $6 million each year. Whereas in Sonoma County, grapes were valued at 11000 per acre in 2019. So per acre for cannabis, $5.5 million to $6 million a year, whereas grapes, 11000 per acre. So, you know, you can, you can see why cannabis is starting to make an impact of two... It costs roughly $25,000 an acre to develop a vineyard. Uh, But uh, setting up cannabis tends to be more expensive up front. But uh, in in the long run, you can make a lot more money off of it. So uh, it's becoming an issue. Uh, The article just goes on and quotes people about how it's affecting it back and forth and everything else. I, I won't go through the whole article, but... You get the point. It's just uh, premium wines like Napa can excel in cannabis. Probably if the Napa grows the best cannabis in the world, the same way that it grows the best grapes in the world, 
it will add to the reputation, not tarnish it, says uh, uh, the, uh, well, what's the part of the NAPA uh, board, I think. Yeah, so uh, honing. So, you know, it's, uh, and they're also saying that with the wildfires and everything else, I mean, you know, you're not, your uh, hemp plants are not going to be affected by smoke and by the heat and all this other stuff that's going on in that area. So it's uh, it's becoming an ongoing, ongoing issue. Um, a lot of the alcohol wine industry is starting to put some money into cannabis growing, uh, diversifying their product and what they're doing. Okay. South Africa. This is was interesting. South Africa is, you, you may or may not know, South Africa has had pandemic, uh, that new strain that came out of South Africa and all that. Well, the president of South Africa uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, Ramaphosa has announced a total ban on sale of alcohol for the fourth time in the pandemic. The restrictions are set to shut down uh, starting Sunday night. Yeah, starting this coming Sunday night for a two-week period. Nobody can sell alcohol. Wineries close, bars, everything. It is totally no wine sales because of the pandemic. And this is the fourth time he's done this. The uh, head of the, uh, well, I I don't know, the alcohol board or whatever, there's, it's something that's, we don't have here, but it's uh, uh, the head of uh, alcohol board says that it is, Unnecessary, unjustified, and counterproductive. And it says it's not going to help anything. It's just it's just ridiculous, and it's going to hurt businesses tremendously. So I don't know. It's the fourth time it's been done. I, I just haven't heard that. But they have been having some major, major outbreaks in South Africa. A rosé competition. I thought this was interesting because they have found uh, they uh, the winners of the latest rosé competition now this was held which i thought was odd too in fort lauderdale here in florida june the 25th so just last week the rosé competition 2021 has announced their winners this is held by the fort lauderdale women's club and it's uh, the American Fine Wine Competition. The judges uh, selected best in show is in the dry rosé category was a 2020 rosé from Rhode Island. Rhode Island. You know, shake your head. This is the lovely rosé of Cabernet Franc, which I like, Cabernet Franc. From a surprising East Coast wine region, hit all the right notes and captivated the judges. The best of show winner in the sweet category went to Soldier, or Soldier, I'm sorry, Soldier Creek Winery. It was a 2020 
from Iowa. Iowa, Rhode Island and Iowa won the two best rosés. The best in show in the sparkling wine category went to Pope Valley Vineyards from Napa Valley. Uh, the best in show for dry was $20. Best in show for sweet was 18 The best in show for sparkling was 42 but that was out of Napa. Yeah, okay. Uh, the Sangiovese Brut Rosé uh, sparkling one was one that, you know, they tend to like. They like the sparkling. But two of the three came from across the country. It, it wasn't swept by California wineries or anything else like that, which is really, really surprises me. I expected, you know, California's been making some great rosés and here Rhode Island Winery, Newport Vineyards and an Iowa winery, Soldier Creek Winery all came in with some winners there. So if you uh, go to AmericanFineWineCompetition.org and that's all one word www.AmericanFineWineCompetition.org and you can read the whole list. Uh, the charity has raised, uh, what did they say, over $150 million for charity uh, for the competition. Well, that's cool. So I thought that was interesting, though, that these rosés, one from Rhode Island and one from, uh, one from uh, Iowa. One more thing I want to tell you about here. Well... Wine Spectator is out with their new restaurant list. So you can check that out. It'll be available in the magazine or online uh, in a couple of weeks. The magazine should be out pretty soon. It'll be online in a couple of weeks. And uh, France has four new disease-resistant grapes that they have uh, came out with, which they may allow to be planted because they've been very resistant to it in France because it's the Vitus vinifera, and these are a, a blend between Vitus vinifera and some American Vitus vinifera and all that. So it's, it's an interesting approach there. But this is last. I'm going to end up with this thing here. There is a new lawsuit and a petition for writ of a certainary to the U.S. Supreme Court which I pronounced that wrong since I'm a lawyer. A Florida retailer has asked the high court to overturn a lower court ruling concerning wine shipping. All right, that ruling from the 8th Circuit Court of Appeals claims the 21st Amendment to the Constitution allows the state of Missouri to discriminate against out-of-state wine retailers by banning them from shipping wine to Missouri residents. But at the same time, it allows Missouri retailers to ship wine to Missouri residents. And it's like, oh, no, you can't do that. Uh, National Association of Wine Retailers uh, has all gotten behind this writ to the Supreme Court. And they say, we want this to be taken care of. Because if they can get by with it in Missouri, then they can get by with it in every state. And the Supreme Court has already basically said that you can't do that. Uh, it says, requiring a retailer to have a physical presence in the state 
is an inherent prerequisite to effective regulation. So Missouri's law banning out-of-state wine retailers from an online market was protected by the 21st Amendment and immune from the Commerce Clause scrutiny. And that's what they're saying. But the petition states in Granholm versus Hild, this Supreme Court declared unconstitutional two state laws that prohibited out-of-state wineries from shipping to consumers but allowed in-state wineries to do so. The court said that the non-discrimination principle of the Commerce Clause applies to state liquor laws so that if a state chooses to allow the direct shipment of wine, it must do so on even-handed terms. And there you go. And that's the argument. Missouri is saying, hey, I can do this because I'm quoting the 21st Amendment and the Supreme Court's already ruled that the Commerce Clause comes into play and you cannot restrict it like that. So another ruling by the Supreme Court on wine again. Uh, it's interesting. We're getting more and more of them going there. I, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if the Supreme Court has said that they will hear this argument. No, not yet. It's a legal challenge, and they haven't said they will hear it yet. What they might do is say, no, we're not going to hear it. Throw it back to the courts. You need to reexamine this. Uh, This article says, ultimate victory, however, and it will come, is when states stop listening to their best-funded special interests and taking into account the consumer needs. So... It's something for us to look forward to here, what's going to happen in this next ruling here in the Supreme Court. We don't know yet. Uh, We don't know if they're even going to listen to it, and if they don't, they'll pull it back. But it's followed by uh, a group of wine retailers in Sarasota area, Florida, which is south of Tampa area, uh, trying to ship stuff into Missouri. And they said, no, you can't do that. There are currently lawsuits pending in seven states challenging these same basic laws. So this could be a very precedent-setting ruling on this. So there you go. That's uh, a lot of information for today. A lot of stuff to throw out at you. Hope you learned something. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just thinking about this uh, spotted lanternfly that that stays in the uh, news, you know, the the topic and everything. It's just ridiculous, but I don't understand why you have to get a permit for it. It's, it, you know, it, I, I don't controlling know. the population or, or what? It's it's, uh, it's a know. little bit silly, but yeah, but you have to get, and it's a free permit. You just go down and say, I want a yeah. uh, spotted lanternfly permit, and, you know, it's a free permit, and but... You know, they can find you. I'm sure that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure the first time they try to sue somebody too, it, that's going to be appealed and yeah. and come up and say, hey, you know, just because I didn't get this permit, why why can't they find me for uh, yeah. three hundred dollars? You know, just because I didn't get a free permit. You know, and I'm sure that'll be, you know, going to the courts also. But you know, they're. 
I, I don't know. I was I was curious about the reason for the permitting anyway. But they said they got twenty six thousand businesses that are on the lookout, and that's probably from the permit list that they got that number. And yeah. So yeah, they know who might who's, help. Who's doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I can see the tracking know. purpose, but yeah, find someone that just kill it, the thing. It's I, invasive. It doesn't do you any good. Kill it. It's not you know no benefit. Yeah. No benefit to it. No benefit to anybody or anything. Now that's it. It's not like, not like it's a protective species. You need to yeah. build a habitat for it. I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's a bad bug. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So there we go. Well, no guests next week. I will be getting you know. Check me out on Maria Leveretti's show. It's a week from last night yeah. that it should be posted. I. I guess i don't know what time of day she posted but it'll be there but anytime after last anytime after next wednesday uh it'll be up and then we'll try to get her on the show too and i'll start working on times and all that for her Mm -hmm. perfect sounds good um we will return next uh, thursday which would be uh, july the 8th if my math is correct and um that's as far as i can handle and uh Days of first, second, okay. third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, yeah, eighth. Yeah. Right about I use my okay. fingers. Uh, th- yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you all for, for <laughs> thank you all for joining us, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, hey, uh, uh, send comments and uh, questions, and uh, Ron will answer those hopefully on a future show. But uh, let us know uh, what you're listening to us on, and if you have any comments or questions about the show, email all about wine zero one at gmail.com and make sure you're not spelling out those numbers. It's just the number one, the number zero and the number one. So all about wine one Oh one zero one at gmail.com. And uh, that goes to Ron and uh, let him know what you're listening to, what platform. Um, I know it's not nine platforms, but uh, no, wow. I have no idea. Yeah. It'd be interesting though. Um, yeah. And uh, let us know you're listening. It'd be nice to hear from you. We, we want to hear from you. So contact, contact the show. Uh, we'll see you all next week, and uh, thank you. And have a weekend. Have yeah. yourself a healthy and happy Fourth of July. Don't blow any digits oh, off this weekend. It's Sunday, yes. yeah, yeah. Monday's a yeah. official holiday, but it's Sunday, yeah. So, so yeah, be safe out there. Reason, lock, the, but... lock the pets mm-hmm. away. Don't you know? Yeah, they get scared of that yeah, big they boom. That. They don't yeah, like that. They don't like it. Um, if for some reason we ha- we do have a a tropical storm or something in the area and it affects our uh, show ability for Thursday. Uh, we'll let you know, cause it's supposed to be like midweek next week. Don't yeah. We'll let you know on, we'll let you know on social media on uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook at all about wine BTR. So uh, yep. we'll let you know there for, if anything's happening, but uh, thank you again. Have a safe, so be weekend, safe on the July. Have yourself a yeah. good time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Thank you. We're out. There we go. This concludes, concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.